Welcome to the Football Business Academy podcast. The FBA is a football business educational company entirely dedicated to the football industry. We run a professional master in football business and a number of certificates across the world. Thank you for being with us today. Now enjoy the episode and let's build the future of football together. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are tuning in from. Welcome to the 10th and final episode of our free weekly live webinars brought to you by the Football Business Academy in partnership with SoccerX. My name is Christian Dobrev. I'm the Chief Partnerships Officer at the FBA and I will be moderating this webinar. Since today is our last webinar in this series and since many competitions are restarting, we wanted to look ahead and find an answer to the question, will COVID-19 boost innovation in football? And we'll try to look at innovation from different perspectives. Sure, we'll look at it from a technological perspective, but after two decades of relentless growth, which saw the football industry essentially unaffected even by the 2008 financial crisis, this pandemic surely did manage to expose our industry's weaknesses. So perhaps more importantly, we'll look at innovation from a perspective of strategic thinking, of processes and of stakeholder engagement. So for this exciting debate, we've gathered some forward thinking experts and it's my great pleasure to welcome them to you today. To start, we have Esteban Granero, who is the CEO of Olosip, although most of you might know him better for his career as a professional football player, having passed through clubs such as Real Madrid, QPR, Espanyol, Real Sociedad, or indeed most recently Marbella. And it's because of this experience as a player that he set up this artificial intelligence company, which uses data to analyze, predict, and provide knowledge to optimize decision-making processes. Next, we have Cristiano Vieira, who's the Innovation and Business, Manage Business Development Manager at Benfica, Portugal's most successful football team. Then it's also my pleasure to introduce Andrew Cook, who is the General Counsel at eSport giant Fanatic. And last but not least, we have Pedro Mestrina, who is the CEO of Horizon, the world's first and leading digital asset pricing platform for sports and entertainment. Welcome to all four of you. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. And uh, for what will be a very interesting discussion with different topics uh, covered, uh, I would like to start with, with Esteban. Esteban, you're obviously a player as well, but also a businessman. So you're uh, living this uh, unprecedented times from, from two perspectives, right? And one of them, I guess, um, very importantly is, especially in the context of many competitions starting again, is this concern that football clubs and players usually have with regards to injuries. Uh, but now more, maybe even more so because obviously it's been a lot, a long lockdown. You know, some players haven't seen each other for two or three months, haven't played together, haven't practiced, um, you know, different drills, haven't played a game, of course. Um, how advanced are clubs on, on tracking performance data and, and adopted, adopting preventive measures when it comes to, to avoiding injuries? Well, first of all, hello, everybody who's here in this webinar and hello to you, Christian. Um, and hello to my, my teammates. Uh, so yes, injuries, of course, is a key topic in, in, in football. Uh, uh, clubs are getting better and better. Uh, we have a, one very good example here with, with Benfica. Cristiano from Benfica will, will, will know because Benfica is one of the top clubs. Uh, driven uh, data in, in Europe and of course clubs are doing a very good job with uh, well 
trying to collect uh, more data and of course trying to collect uh, better data. So after this, we have identified that uh, even uh, in the pest clubs, you need to uh, have this service from AI to them to get the, the data ready to be uh, driven by AI. Uh, this kind of AI, uh, AI ready data uh, that is the only data that can be used to uh, make these predictions we are aiming to. And this kind of predictions is what uh, will give you uh, this uh, lower uncertainty to make better decisions about injury. Uh, as soon as you can get the analysis from descriptive analysis, I mean from uh, visualization of, of data and physical data. Uh, if you can transport this analysis into a predictive analysis uh, in order to predict the injury and also into prescriptive in order to use uh, transparent models to uh, analyze not only the, the risk of injury but also what variables are influ have influence in this uh, risk. As soon as you can get this, this uh, artificial intelligent technology, you will reduce uncertainty in a huge point. And of course, you have to start working from, from the end. This kind of situation, like the one we have now, uh, of course, uh, artificial intelligence can uh, uh, or must be very important because if we can reduce uncertainty into regular situations, this kind of situation with bigger uncertainty, artificial intelligence must be even more important. Okay, very, very exciting. Uh, Cristiano, um, another key concern, obviously, for, for football clubs is, is how they engage with fans, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. arguably their second most important stakeholder after, after the players. Yeah. Um, and during the lockdown, obviously, um, you know, you've had to find ways, new ways, maybe, to engage with your fans, right? Um, and I'm guessing that uh, the future also is very uncertain because, you know, you don't know how long you will be able to, to play uh, without the fans in the stadium, right? And, and I guess, you know, from, a, from an innovation perspective, if you look at how to continue engaging with their fans, I guess you don't have all the answers right now yet, right? But from what you've done, what you've tried over the yes. past couple of months, uh, what can you tell us and what, what kind of things are you planning to um, potentially implement over the next few months that you believe could work well in this, uh, in this situation? Yeah, this is uh, something uh, completely new for, for us and all the clubs in the world. So nobody has the solution for, for this case. We are trying to, um, to have some meetings during this quarantine to find some solutions. But uh, I think the innovation will have a um, really important um, position uh, for all the clubs in the world right now. I think uh, um, in terms of innovation and technology, I compare this moment that we live with the moment of war. Because uh, it's usual in times of war that uh, were the greatest technological advantage and uh, where the tools were invented to greatly change people's lives. Um, and today we are not in a war, but we are, in, we are facing a virus that forced uh, the world to stop. All the football stopped right now, nobody is playing. So uh, this crisis constitutes a huge challenge for the football industry and this will force us to rethink the whole system where technologies and interaction mechanisms will be created to find new solutions for the fans and for everyone. So uh, I think this is the perfect time to, to imagine new platforms, new ways to engage the fans, new ways to connect the fans. And uh, 
the football have something unique, something that the other industries, uh, they don't have. That is the emotional connection that manages, manages millions of people um, around the world. So usually a person do not fall in love with a company, but football creates a very strong emotional connection in people, um, a feeling of love for the club. And because that many companies want to connect with football industry to try to entry in this emotional territory of millions of fans, because normally you don't fall in love with Amazon, you don't fall in love with another industries or companies, but uh, football is something that moves uh, millions and millions of fans. And, uh, and this is something unique that we have, and we need to take advances, advance with that to, to connect with our fans. Uh, so um, having uh, as much as fun engagement right now, it's, it's really important for us uh, to be connected with our fans, um, with our sponsors, to make sure um, they, they don't go in a different way right now. So, and, and in my opinion, this will not only affect the clubs financially, but also psychological aspects. Because players, they are not used to play in an empty stadium. Because um, it's really different when, when, a, when a player plays in a, a full stadium or empty stadium. For them, they don't have the uh, motivational impact of the fans. And um, many times, like imagine every good player, when they, they, they make a great play, um, they like to feel uh, the fans, they like to feel their support. And this is something that they will not have right now. And uh, I'm sure uh, many companies will create uh, some solutions where the football players can feel uh, the support of their, their, their fans when they play at home and even uh, away. Um, and that is something that will affect also the fans because when you see games on TV, uh, this will affect the visible and audible emotion of the game that is very important for who follow the, the, the games. This is something that has to be working with the fans because right now, as I said before, we are not ready for that and we, we, we need to to connect as much as we can with the fans and we need to find new solutions to connect with them uh, during the games, before the games, after the games, uh, because right now this will be a completely different scenario than uh, what we experience until, until now. And this is a new situation and, and uh, it's really important to keep the fans and the players uh, motivated. And, and those unique circumstances bring opportunity to innovate, to rethink policies and to uh, resize priorities. So right now, I'm sure thousands of innovation companies are working really close with many teams to develop and create new ideas um, because every team wants to be in the pole position or creating innovation solutions and new ideas for the beginning of, uh, of the games and uh, for, the, for the next season. Um, because right now I think that uh, no club has the magic formula for the success and how to overcome this crisis in the short term. So uh, we will all suffer, all the clubs will suffer a lot, but in my opinion, innovation will be something precious for clubs to pass this situation. Uh, Benfica right now, uh, we are trying to, to work as much closer as you can with the, with the fans, 
we develop our platform uh, Dplay um, before the, the virus and uh, right now we, we gave a free access for uh, for all, all our fans to, to connect with us, where they can have exclusive content from the players, the trainings, um, their normal life and everything. And uh, I'm sure data is something, it's gold. Data is gold right now. The CRM where we can connect with, uh, with all our fans, where we, we know where they are from, what they like, um, if they like uh, uh, one player more than other, what we what are they, they habits in the, in, the, in the football, what they want to buy or not want to buy. So right now I think data and CRM, it's, it's really important for us to focus uh, and approach from, from our fans. Pedro, uh, Cristiano mentioned something very interesting there just about this you know, uniqueness of football that it has uh, basically customers, fans that are in love with, mm -hmm. with the brand, right? And over the past decade or so, um, even though consumer behavior and, and media consumptions have shifted towards digital first reality, um, almost counterintuitively, it hasn't yet really happened in the sponsorship space, you know, which, which is where you specialize in. Why do you think that is? And, and is it finally changing? Well, first, uh, thanks, for, thanks for, being, for us for being here. Uh, hi, everyone. Hi, Stefan, uh, Christian, and Andrew. Um, well, that's a good question. Um, we believe on that the 80% of the revenue of a property, let's say football in this case, uh, is coming from directly from you know broadcasting TV. The other part from merchandising or or, uh, or licensing or whatever is coming the other side. The digital side a few years ago became just a way of how can I say boost the fan engagement. No? So once you create the audience, uh, in the last probably one or two years, what's happening is that uh, properties already seen the opportunity, as you probably following the track now, what Cristiano was saying, that once you have the audiences, you are able to track them, see what they are doing with you, you're able to performance, uh, to track the performance, you know, and uh, enable to monetize it, you know, in a way of really generate a new revenue, uh, new revenue stream on that, you know. So what's happening in the last two years, not because of COVID situation, that some properties already saw this opportunity of, I have this base of audience, uh, brands on the other side are evolving as well. We want something else. Brands are looking for a tracking way of each dollar they're investing in you as a property. So we're able to track it from the beginning to the end. They are used to do this outside of sports with other platforms they're investing, whether it's Facebook or Instagram. Why not doing this on a sponsorship? You know? So COVID, what did now in the last two or three months, I would say, is accelerated, you know, this process of digitalizing the sponsorship, something that is already happening. Uh, it's not from zero to one. We are in the process of doing this. Uh, so that's why for Horizon, I'd say, you know, as a company, it provides an even bigger opportunity you know, to address this problem in industry, which is how can I monetize basically my digital inventory? You know? But not only make a pack and sell, but how can I track the performance of this sponsor, particularly sponsor doing? How can I boost the performance of this? No? And then, of course, with artificial intelligence, be able, be able no, to predict if you have 100 value on this post, how can I make this worth 110? No? So this is more, in our case, focus on business, I would say performance, you know, 
but definitely is the uh, you know following the train that Cristiano said here. Now you have the fun on board. Now we're going to be able. Many companies will be driving this uh, engagement no? somehow. The second step of any business, in the way, is how to monetize this because in the end, properties now have a shortage, you no, know, of uh, of revenue because of broadcasting. There's no matches. There's no ticketing. There's no nothing happening around. Digital is the only, I would say, semi-virgin you know, channel to be exploited in a good way, properly. And uh, well, that's what we are seeing now in the last definitely three months. We're already working with this for a year, but definitely now we're like booming completely, you know, the, the new scenario. Yeah. Andy, you're obviously um, a gamer and you work in the esports industry, but you're also a football fan and you used to work in the football industry. From what you've managed to observe over these past couple of months, how similar or different has the esports industry fared during you know, this lockdown, during this pandemic, as compared to the football industry? Uh, well, again, hello, everybody, and thanks very much for having me. I feel like I'm kind of uh, interloping, so I should, I should establish my football credentials first, and then we'll still talk about esports. So, yes, um, I worked for the Middle East's largest um, event promoter in my last role. So I delivered the FIFA Club World Cup twice, the uh, AFC Asian Cup, UAE 2019, uh, and various other football, uh, tennis, um, MMA, and so on events. So my background is in sport. Um, I think it's worth just unpacking the revenue line. So Pedro talked about it just there, but like football clubs, uh, esports teams uh, gather revenues from winning matches. They have some match day revenues as well, which I'll come back to in a minute. We sell lifestyle and pro kit, uh, and we have partnerships. Um, what we don't have, of course, is a stadium in most instances, and our matchday revenues aren't as regular as yours. The matchday revenues are ancillary to major events that we attend and play at. So where football clubs suffered, which is matchday revenues, uh, broadcast income, those kind of things, esports doesn't really have those in a meaningful way. Um, so in that sense, we were kind of... The, the dip for us was lower. It came from, uh, from impact on, on ancillary revenues. So apparel revenues worldwide are down. Um, on the plus side, we had, I mean, sorry, that's a very broad statement. Um, visitation, average order value, um, conversion of, let's say, fashion visits to websites and those kind of things are down across the board, regardless of which geography you are in. And it, that happened the moment that countries started to go into lockdown, people transferred from discretionary purchases to essentials. And only now are those things really starting to climb back out. Um, but our dip was lower um, because number one, we didn't have the revenues to lose in the first place from those kind of really key things. And as again, as Pedro said, if 80% of your revenue is coming from broadcast and match day, um, then that swing is major. We didn't have that swing. Um, the second point of course, is that we are natively digital as a product. Um, so if I think about uh, the timing of lockdown for esports, there's an event called the IAM Katowice Masters, um, which is the end of February, and that event was delivered um, to a fan-free stadium. Uh, a week or so later, the Liverpool Atletico Madrid uh, game in the UEFA Champions League was completed in front of uh, 52,000 fans in, Han in Anfield. So we started to kind of lock down pretty quick um, and start to generate digital products. So straight away, you've got the games being played online to a digital audience anyway, and the fans are there ready for that. The broadcast experience is there ready to be delivered uh, online and also monetized online. And the question then became, okay, how can we ensure that our partnerships revenue stay robust by switching out the few physical activation pieces that we still had remaining uh, into digital product? 
And that became a rights holder negotiation. So basically saying to the rights holders, look guys, if there were any restrictions previously, you're going to have to open those up a little bit now. Um, and they were willing to do that because don't forget in our, in esports, the rights holders, and this is one, obviously one of the key differences between esports and sports, nobody owns football per se. There might be some people who claim to own football, but fundamentally it is a, you can go and have a kickabout without paying anybody to do it. Um, in esports, the developers own the game. Okay. So they're also the rights holders for present purposes. And so you need them to approve whatever it is you're going to do from a commercial standpoint. But they were, they understood intrinsically, inherently, there's a clear link between what it is that we do as the pro end of uh, gaming and their sales of their product. So they were open to those discussions and very quickly the ecosystem started to shift. I mean, what I see um, as somebody who's outside of football now is a lot of the blockages in the chain are around the barriers that people have built around their business models that they are concerned about being affected by decisions they make now. So if you start to release, you know, that firm grip that you have on some of those revenue streams, you know, where does that leave you as a business? And, you know, this is something we can come to come and discuss and develop as we start to talk about digital inventory. But fundamentally, I think the place that esports found itself in, which was a willingness for the ecosystem to shift very quickly to take advantage of this gap between the massive demand that came about through the lack of content and the, and the lack of supply from traditional sports, that opportunity had to be taken and so the ecosystem could shift. Thanks, Andy. Uh, Esteban, back to you. Um, your platform also uh, focuses on scouting and with scouts unable to travel and, uh, and with budget squeeze, it seems almost that all solutions point towards technology, right? Because in order to identify suitable players, clubs either have to put more resources at video scouting or they have to get uh, smarter with data, right? So is this, according to you, the definitive turning point in which even the um, biggest technology skeptics and football romantics uh, starts realizing that data-driven decision-making is here to stay? Well, I think uh, video analysis and data tools are complementary. And uh, we recommend to use uh, all together in order to analyze players in, in scouting. But if I have to start talking about uh, football romantics, I have to say I'm the, the, the first one in the line. Uh, because I, I know how football is as a player and also now as a um, uh, CEO of my, of my data company. Uh, so I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm a romantic too, but I think artificial intelligence is one tool that will help the clubs to take better decisions. And this is something uh, that is not fighting with being romantic or with uh, football expertise of the scouters. Uh, but uh, it's, it's only uh, trying to trying to help the same way you take your calculator to the math exam. So you can use uh, tools in order to have more information or better information in order to, to make better decisions. And uh, this is, as, as I said before, uh, the, the most important thing is people in clubs can understand the difference about uh, no visualization of past data and uh, using this data, treat this data with with uh, with models or algorithms in order to make predictions. First of all, generate knowledge about uh, everything, make predictions and take uh, decisions uh, with uh, less uncertainty. In scouting, 
uh, we always say that they only respond to the to the club uh, question uh, is to give information about the future because they, they, the club is not asking themselves about what has been the performance of players they want to sign but they want to know uh, how the player will behave in a new context so past data is discontextualized and uh, predictive data uh, have this contextualization that is uh, key into the information that we can provide to the to the clubs so in this one <coughs> sorry in this way we think uh, this kind of analysis from from artificial intelligence is is uh, totally important uh, the ability of artificial intelligence to generate knowledge about everything is uh, is huge and uh, I, I i had the the, the sentence of, uh, of 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 cristiano before that was wondering about how the players will behave with the empty stadiums. And now we have the, the opportunity to, to understand this from science, because uh, I don't think players will be dismotivated or motivated or extra motivated uh, in, the, in the whole way, but some players will behave in a way and, and another players will behave in another way. Uh, this way will be different if they play at home and away. And, you know, with with information collecting and the, the 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 games is going to be played now. Of course, you can understand and introduce this variable and understand how the, play, the players will has been affected uh, uh, to the with the with the empty stadiums. And this is some information will help you to make predictions about his behavior. For example, in the next year of a player, if if you want to sign and in a new context that can be in an empty stadium or maybe in a full stadium. So. Um, everything we are wondering about how something will affect, and now we are in a situation where uh, many things will will be affecting in the in the near future because we have a new situation. Everything we are wondering about uh, how which way is going to be affected can be discovered by science, and in this case by artificial intelligence. That we need, we need, we need to think artificial intelligence is a machine to generate knowledge. This new knowledge uh, will help you to make predictions, uh, science, science, science uh, predictions, and with these predictions, uh, decision making will be much easier. Fascinating, Cristiano. Um, when when we do get back to allowing fans in the stadium, do you anticipate any necessary innovations with regards to the, the fan experience? So, talking about stadium access, talking about catering, talking about hospitality, um, talking about fan zones, you know, do you think that um, the experience will be similar as before or will you need to redesign it completely? Yeah, I think we, we will need to touch in all areas. All areas need to be redesigned, not completely, but um, a little because uh, they need to survive that pandemic. Um, and uh, we must be able to reinvent all the process and habits um, that could exist. Um, but uh, uh, important thing that anything that has to be done has to help us and the, the clubs to win inside the field and also financially. So everything need, need to focus on two things, win inside the field and help us in terms of on finance. Um, and um, I, I think this will redesign all areas because uh, of COVID-19, many millions of jobs are therefore at risk globally. Stadium tours are closed, uh, shops are closed, museum, ticketing, catering, everything. So 
uh, we need to focus in each area and see what we need to invite to come again um, as before and starting making money and helping the, the team to, to win the games. But this is something that is not only for the clubs because when you have a game, um, a game have thousands of people involved. You have, the, in my, our case, Benfica Stadium, you have a lot of people in the game organization, uh, but you have also economic um, around the stadium. So Lisbon, on a game day, you have transportation, you have hotels, you have restaurants, um, you have retail, sporting services, industries that are connected with that event. A lot of people live and work for the events that happen uh, once a week in, in our stadium. So this affects also the, the tourism, the infrastructure, transportation, catering, media broadcasting. So if we look at that, we are uh, looking for thousands of jobs, not only in Benfica, but this involves much more than Benfica and, and other clubs, because um, a club involves a, a big ecosystem uh, around that. And um, that, that, uh, that business right now, they are surfing a lot. Uh, and I think we, we need to follow the restrictions that are imposed due to COVID. And um, I'm sure um, we will find a way uh, to change uh, some of that areas and work again as before. But uh, the essence of football will continue for sure. The connection with the fans will remain, but we will have to adapt to the new reality. We have to adapt all areas to the new reality and uh, thinking about what new we can do to involve everyone, every fans. The security access to the stadiums will change for sure. The position of the e-commerce uh, will change and gain a greater relevance because the e-commerce right now will be really important in this situation. The hospitality areas will have to adapt to meet all the OMS requirements and we have to see how people will react to all of this transformation because it's a new situation for all of us. So we don't know how they will react at the beginning. We will learn from that. I'm, I'm sure that we will learn from that. And uh, we will take our notes and uh, start doing the things better uh, because no football club have a plan for this because nobody expects something in this dimension. Football um, is what it is today um, because have more than 100 years of history, experience and transformation. And this will be another transformation. And I'm sure we will learn a lot from, from, that, uh, from that transformation and we will create new habits and new ways to connect with the fans. But I'm sure that the things will not uh, change completely because uh, the football have a long history and people have the many habits. But I'm sure uh, all the areas, if, you, if we look at that and uh, 360 point of view, everything, everything will change a little. Andy, um, you mentioned before that the esports community or industry, whatever you, you, you prefer to call it, um, is digitally native, right? And, um, and I guess arguably that's why the younger generations and a lot of the brands have, have been getting into that space more than uh, traditional sports. Can you enlighten us a little bit uh, with some of the ways fan engagement and digital activations work in your environment? Yeah, sure. 
Um, so I think there's probably two things to talk about there. The first one is the broadcast experience. So um, when I was born in the UK, uh, which was um, some time ago, uh, we had three channels and that was a supply environment, right? So effectively you watch whatever was on and if you didn't want to watch what was on, you turn off the TV and you did something else. Um, Obviously, in recent years, we've moved to a demand environment. Uh, Netflix uh, and these other kind of streaming platforms uh, have introduced a sense of you can watch what, whatever you want, whenever you want to watch it. And that's also true in football, of course. So the transition there was from the big match on a, uh, you know, maybe on a Sunday afternoon where everyone would turn in and watch it. And it would commonly be to the sort of more popular teams to an omni-channel experience where you watch whatever your red button allows you to watch and so on. Now, if you were born with the first of those things, the second of those things seems extremely dynamic. Um, so our community, it seems extremely limited because their experience, they grew up with YouTube. And YouTube is the ultimate omni-channel environment. If I wanna watch somebody cooking, if I wanna watch somebody uh, playing a game or whatever, uh, fundamentally, I can watch absolutely whatever I want in almost any language in which it happens. And if I don't like it, I click and I watch something else. Um, so I think that, it's really important to understand that as the initial platform, what we consider to be an extremely uh, sort of varied and interesting broadcast product seems limiting to the people who are kind of coming up through our community. And that informs our digital activations in a big way. And I'll come on to that in a sec. And the second thing it's important to really understand what games are. So um, obviously for present purposes, the main game, if you like, is, is FIFA, but FIFA is, um, it sort of chips away at this to an extent. Uh, games now are social media platforms, right? They are places where people come together and they engage. And then, you know, the, the experience, most games now, sorry, are built so that it pushes you into that system where you're playing either strangers or you're playing friends, you get points and in-game items for connecting up with people who you know in your network and so on. So everything is very social and engaged from the start, from, uh, from, from uh, the get-go. The ultimate expression of that is platforms like Roblox, 2 billion hours of Roblox played in April, Fortnite, 3 billion hours of Fortnite played. So you've got uh, 3 billion hours of Twitch, which is the sort of main streaming platform um, in Q1, and 3 billion hours of Fortnite played in April alone. So why are people playing those games? They're not just sitting there and, 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 and sort of unilaterally engaging with it, which is the phrase I used earlier on. This is not a pure viewership thing. This is not, I switch it on and I sit back and I play. This is extremely engaging, 24 hours a day of, of multifaceted content. So you don't just watch, you don't just click a like, you interact with people that are on the screen, you're asking them questions, they're picking you out of the chat. Um, so if we're watching this on Twitch, for example, we would have a Twitch stream coming down here with commentary, right? We'd have people watching, uh, broadcasting through the Twitch platform. They're picking things out of the stream. They're talking about them online. It's extremely dynamic. That's a very long way around of saying that if your digital content is not extremely and immediately engaging, right? So not just something which is different, but something which allows the community to interact with it, then you're looking at digital content in completely the wrong way. So we did an activation for our friends at UNICEF, Marcus Rashford playing the best FIFA player in the world who uh, plays for Fnatic, his name is Tex. Um, and that became interesting because the community gets in and they're asking Marcus uh, 
questions about his injury and how he's recovering and he's there with his brothers and that kind of thing. It's an insight into Marcus Rashford's life. Uh, it's, people are not watching that stream to watch Marcus Rashford be brilliant at FIFA because bless him, he, he's wonderful at very many things, but FIFA is not one of them. Um, they're watching there because they get a behind the scenes piece. And that wasn't facilitated by the club necessarily, although Manchester United obviously has a relationship with UNICEF. That's Marcus Rashford trying to understand his uh, experience as a, or sorry, his interaction with fans and how he can use that for good. He's a person who's had some challenges with social media and fans. who's trying to refashion that. So again, live, engaging on a completely different level. So not just a bit of peek behind the scenes, but a real way of walking the fans into that space. So again, if I then track that into what we're doing with big brands, BMW is a partner of Fanatic, proud to have BMW on board. Taking a brand like that, which is very understanding of sports sponsorship in the traditional sense, right? Like, okay, so we have the, the BMW Roundel here, which is one of the most uh, you know valuable trademarks in the whole world, well-known worldwide. Putting something on a shirt or putting something on a building is 20 years ago, so far as sports sponsorship is concerned. I mean, that's true across the board anyway. BMW wants to talk to our demographic of, generally speaking, very young fans, 16 to 25-year-olds, massive, like predominate in uh, Twitch viewership and so on. What can we do to speak to those fans? Well, we talk to them authentically. We talk to them in their, on their terms and on their turf. We don't require them to cross bridges to meet the content. We provide the content in the places where they want to watch it. And we activate in a way which is authentic to our brand. So... We esports, so Fnatic, for example, is one of the longest standing esports teams. We've been doing this for 15 years. So our ability to digitally activate is honed in a way that we, we you know, we had to do it that way. Whereas football came to it from the physical activation. So they're working back, we're working forward to it. And as Pedro said earlier on again, I think the football has done some wonderful things, but if you look at where the wonderful things have happened in COVID from a digital activation standpoint. It's been the community-driven stuff. It's been the authentic stuff. It's been fans playing other fans under the banners of the teams, generally speaking. And it's been the smaller teams, certainly in the UK, that have been the best at doing that. Why? Because they have the links to the community, right? They have that ability to activate the fans in a way that I would say the bigger teams really struggle to do because it's become more of a control issue for them and a kind of like a... Uh, you know, it's every every fan engagement is um, relating to the funnel rather than necessarily just the act of expressing your fandom. So authenticity and understanding that degree of engagement that's required, that's the key to successful digital activation. Pedro, for, for this to happen in the football industry, we're going to need to see a big paradigm shift, right? Because I guess, um, I mean, you and I know, a lot of people in this football industry, they, they tend to be quite, um, let's say, prudent, cautious, protective of, of their brand, of, of what they've built up so far. And, and of course, I mean, as human beings, I guess they're, they're afraid of, of losing that, right? So, so this paradigm shift will, uh, will require a different mindset, right? If, if they want to mm -hmm. uh, benefit from the opportunities that digital offers, then they're going to have to change their mindset. But they'll also need to rebalance the way the different assets are valued, right? Um, how will things, in your opinion, uh, change in the future in terms of packaging, selling, uh, tracking, you know, from a, from a commercial point of view? Well, I think following what Andrew was saying, which I think is extremely relevant, you know, uh, the way sponsorship was sold 20 years, 25 years ago, back when I was an athlete, not even say like Esteban, 
the way it was, you know, you have the t-shirt, a picture here on the top of a mountain, how you measure this. Well, you measure by centimeter, then you put in the, you know, traditional thing, you see, okay, I, they give me a hundred. This was exposed in the media by 200. Awesome, you know, that's awesome. Uh, so it means that a double or triple or whatever the investment was. Today on the digital side, and I'm following what Andrew was saying, uh, digital content, you can basically, you are able to pack this in a different way that generate much more relation to your fan, I would say, you know, in a live way, you were able to track this on digital. It's very difficult to track when you have exposure. Media exposure is one thing. When you have digital content, you need to be able to track this. So without the traceability uh, of this dollar invested, that brands are using BMW in the traditional sponsorship with a logo, without this in the digital, brands are not be able to invest, I would say, uh, as a sponsorship of the digital. So the way of you pack this content through branded content, you know, I would say, or as we, our team is saying, fan stories now, uh, is the way to approach the brands now because it's the way to create value to this content. Put advertising is over, basically. It's uh, old, old school. Now, in the example with the esports, definitely, and football is learning on this and say, we need to create a story on this. It doesn't matter if I'm saying every time there's a birthday player, or the mother of, or, of a player or the dog or play is doing the birthday, let's pack this and put, okay, this can be by a brand, you know, this is fine, but this is generating some value to your fan. No? So the way of doing this without a tool to evaluate, to track this performance, to monetize it, will commercialize this, and then enhance and probably using, as Esteban say, using predictive AI, uh, what's the point of a sponsorship? Become a traditional 20 years ago model. Traditional IP is being replaced. Not everything, of course, and that's, uh, Cristiano was saying this, is still the romantic side no, of, the, of the football and Esteban as well. Uh, the digital is able to basically, I would say, transform the way we are selling sponsorship. Traditional business of, okay, I give you a big check and this is the brand and I put you everywhere. It's being separated. It's happening now because on the other side, the brands, new ones, traditional ones are putting, are pushing, no, into this direction. Is I'll put you a dollar. I wouldn't know where this dollar is going because they are getting used to this now. Without this traceability, will be very difficult. Either you are a top one tier property in football, either you are a smaller team. You need the content. You have the digital content being packaged, but you need to track this. And that's probably following, I mean, the, my colleagues were saying, you know, in the way that the transformation now with the COVID because of the digital and the exposure of this has been, let's say, accelerating this process. You know? This was already happening a year or two years ago, slowly, you know, like a nice to have thing. Now it's becoming for football, probably a must have thing to have, you know, because otherwise uh, you cannot... Um, I would say put again back some revenue that is falling down because of you know no uh, physical events at least in the 12 24 month scenario that we don't know what's going to be the output of all this uh, situation no? but at least in the year or two so that's a great opportunity for properties to really do this yeah it's nice to have now it's you know let's do this we have the time to do this we can learn with other esports for example what they're doing no? so let's do this transformation at this station Thanks, Pedro. Esteban, um, I guess as, as, a, as a player, um, you're quite used to, to reading a lot about transfer markets, right? Um, and, and people, fans, they always have their opinion on it. They always say, ah, 
this player is, uh, is not worth that much money or the, the salaries is not, um, you know, what, what, what they're worth. Um, but now it seems that clubs will need to get smarter and, and more careful when choosing who to sign and how much to, to pay for him. What are your thoughts on this? Yes, of course, transfer market is, as any, in football, as any market is, is, is hard to, um, to, under, to understand in the, in the whole con concept. Uh, we always say that we need to uh, understand the difference between the price of the player that is uh, affected by, of course, the market, the economic behavior, the offer and demand, the media influence, uh, everything is uh, affecting to to the price uh, one one player uh, must must have in the in the market. But we need to use technology to have a reference. And what what we think is the reference is the real value of the player in terms of his performance. Um, this is something that is hard to to under, to, to to find into clubs and when you don't have this reference uh, of course you will uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to understand if the price they are offering is uh, fair unfair is cheap or expensive uh, so what what we offer to clubs is try to understand what is the real value of the of the project in terms of performance first of all we need to understand and estimate the the current value of the player in terms of the performance he's having and then transport this value into the future to make predictions about how this value will um, uh, will be in the in the next years. So, with this information, we have the reference in order to compare with the with the with the price of the player. And this is, uh, I think, the the key point in order to uh, find these underrated uh, players. That is, of course, what we are trying to, to find in the, in the market as a, as a club. So transfer market, of course, uh, always affected by lots of things, but always have your scientific, scientist, uh, scientific reference uh, driven by artificial intelligence in order to understand the real value of the, of the players. Grishana, from, from your perspective, obviously Benfica, um, their business model pretty much is, is one where you develop great players in your academy um, and, then you, and then you sell them on to, to bigger clubs for, for you know, very decent transfer fees, right? So from a, from a business model perspective, if, if it's fair to assume that the transfer market will have a correction in the next few months and, and year maybe, um, what can a club like Benfica do to, to adapt to this reality and, and ensure that it doesn't uh, you know, widen the gap with the other bigger European clubs, basically? Well, um, this is not in contract my area, but uh, I think uh, we, we need to see how the market will react. But uh, football will not stop and Benfica will keep doing what we do really well, that is forming new talents. We are good forming new talents and we need to focus on that and keep going what uh, we, we are doing. Um, unfortunately, the television rights in Portugal are, are much uh, lower than in another leagues, such as the uh, English Premier League. So we have to have another ways to generate revenue while maintaining a competitive team to stay ahead in all competitions. 
And of course, selling our youth talents has been an important factor in Benfica financial health. And um, Benfica had an excellent management regarding our football campus. And uh, that is what we will continue to do for sure, to remain one of the most competitive teams in Europe, regardless of the financial changes that uh, may can happen, because it's something new and we don't know how the, the, the market will, will react. Um, but our job, as I said before, it's uh, continue to do what we do well, that is forming uh, really good players. And I'm sure if we keep our work, this will be reflected in the field and also financially. Um, because independent of the, the market, uh, our, our job is, is to, to keep forming uh, good players. And um, as I said before, uh, everything that we do, uh, we need to focus in the future and how to win inside the field and how to win also in terms of financial. Pedro Cristiano mentioned something interesting there about you know Portugal as a as a market being a lot more uh, limited, let's say compared to UK, Spain, France, Italy, Germany. Um, from from your perspective, is there anything that the smaller clubs and leagues can do uh, to continue you know staying in the game and and, and playing this catch up game and, and making sure that that the gap you know between the different leagues and the different clubs doesn't widen, or do you think that the parallels between the analog and digital spaces are, are pretty much the same and therefore yeah. essentially dictated by, by the, the limited reach they have. Um, well, well, as you mentioned, it's a different approach from a tier one property, I would say that is global and is able to reach 300, 250 million fans around the globe rather than a local team which uh, 2 million, 3 million fans on, let's say, following on the social, social media, I would say, you know. But we have examples, no, and with Horizon that uh, from both ends, so big property with a smaller property, I would say, or mid-sized property, that the way they are approaching the monetization, uh, I think following what Andrew said before, they are reaching their community. So the engagement, I would say, uh, you know, south of Spain with a small club, a smaller club, you know, like Betis, which is a great one example, no, it's extremely high engagement in the community. Very, They're not probably a global uh, football uh, club, but the way they able to, they're being able to monetize, you know, and they're able, they have the opportunity to monetize this. Uh, it's even, comparing to the big one, is even better if they're able to provide for these brands. They are looking for this. You know, some brands are looking for the exposure global because that's their strategy. Some brands are looking for achieving specific uh, communities. That's the opportunity within the digital. And it, regardless the size of the property, you were able to monetize it when you have the data, when you have the technology supporting this uh, commercialization no, of these assets. It doesn't matter if you are a super global property or if you are, I would say, a mid-sized local team. No? In the end, now with this, it clear, comes the opportunity again for the, not only for the big ones, but the, for the mid-sized properties to monetize and, and, and especially on the digital assets. Thanks. Um, Andy, for football clubs and, and football leagues alike, getting into esports, um, you know, is their way of innovating, right? Um, yeah, for some reason, it seems that a lot of them still haven't managed to get it right. Why, why do you think is that? I suppose, um, it's an interesting question. What do, you, what do you mean by right, I suppose? Um, 
this is the lawyer in me speaking, I'm passing your language, but I think they kind of, why do you want to be in esports and how do you how do you conceive of esports as a kind of a subject matter because esports is an umbrella term um i suppose in the same way that football covers you know futsal and five aside and uh, there's a women's game and there's a men's game and there's the academies and all this kind of thing it's it's a it's a multifaceted piece and what what's right for futsal may not be right for the professional level aside men's game and and so on uh, it, it's similarly true in in esports um I think teams have, whenever I speak in, uh, let's say, sports and esports environments, for very commonly, I think um, there is a sense that esports is a bolt on sport and most of the learning should be going in one direction. And that's true in relation to things I would say like uh, player development, safeguarding, uh, it, it, management of integrity issues. I think that's true. Um, but 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 here, I think this is an area where there there, there could be a little bit more um, humbleness in terms of how teams approach esport because fundamentally, what why are people watching two people play FIFA? Unless one of those two people's people is famous, they're basically watching it to learn how to be better at FIFA in in the main, right? Uh, well, I, I'm, I couldn't tell you what the most watched FIFA stream is of all time, but if I took two of the best players in the world, so again, Tex, I mentioned earlier on, or someone like Hashtag Tom or Mohamed Abdusari, people who are winning tournaments and who, who have a healthy income, let's say, from playing FIFA. If I put those two players together and we were to watch them play, people would still rather watch, you know, if we could get Messi and Ronaldo to come together on a stream, that would be the most watched FIFA stream of all time, right? So there's still that kind of stunt element to it. Well, the games in which we're most successful and we monetize best as an esports team are the teams where the team is fundamental to the game. In FIFA, your teams are already there. I mean, every single team in the world, pretty much, uh, at least at the professional level, is already represented in the game. That's one of the reasons why people love it is that authenticity and that sense of, uh, you know, the play, you know, this is always one of the things with Pro Evolution Soccer and FIFA. It, certainly when those titles were early, Pro Evolution Soccer didn't have the license, so, you know, people didn't enjoy it playing it as much so the team's already there your participation in the game is not a gateway to people enjoying that game because they're probably already watching it anyway fifa in the uk anyway was the most bought game of 2019 by a mile sold more than 500,000 copies more than the next game so you're not facilitating them buying the game uh, so that doesn't do anything for you in terms of your revenues they're already playing the game anyway they're already playing it using your players anyway so what advantage does you having this uh, this sort of team have, it, particularly when you look at it as a bolt-on? Now, if you look at it as a new platform for your talent to activate digitally, right? So those players of your esports team who will be very familiar with digital activation will be very familiar with what it takes to successfully stream. And they can bring those players into the environment and start to build their digital brands to get them comfortable with activating a digital space. And you can bring your sponsors with you, right? So you can say to your sponsors, we'll, we'll bring you into this digital environment through these players who inherently understand how to activate those things, how to run a Twitch stream, how to talk about a game around it. Um, broadcast is coming to, towards you. you know. Platforms like Twitch, which again is owned by Amazon, as I'm sure you know, are a route to monetization that current broadcast platforms don't offer. So for example, right now, if a Premier League game was being broadcast on Twitch, and Amazon is already obviously in the business of buying Premier League football, um, there could be an offer, right? Okay, it pops up now. Okay, if you would like to buy a Harry Kane jersey, we can have it at your door in an hour if you live in a major city. And you can see how that monetization capability, those kind of platforms immediately tracks into the 
into the football broadcast product very heavily. So that broadcast trend is already happening. Allow those esports teams to bring you into that space. If they're just there as an activation for your team, like, oh, we feel like we should do this, then again, we've talked already about how social engagement, unilateral social engagement does nothing really for engagement in your piece. So that's that would be my main question to any any team that wants to have an esports team. Why are you doing it? What are you hoping to achieve? What's the goal here? And and how can you use it to more effectively reach your commercial goals? And that's going to take a bit of lateral thinking and sometimes also a bit of humbleness in terms of how you're approaching that product. Thanks. Esteban, we've been seeing um, artificial intelligence and learning um, being applied already, uh, as you mentioned in the previous questions, to things like performance, uh, scouting, transfers, sponsorship as well, in, in the case of Pedro's uh, tool, um, also business management, of course. Is there any other part of the football ecosystem which um, you see it having a potential uh, application for in the future? Yes, well, I have to say that uh, we know we know exactly what we are uh, best. Uh, I think we are we are our expertise uh, relies on performance, and and also in uh, AI system developing. Uh, the reason we are uh, offering uh, products on sponsorship is because we are happy to offer uh, Pedro's uh, Horizon platform. Uh, because we have uh, a check in the in the market and we have uh, identified this platform as the best in, in market offering something very specific and very important for the club so we are happy to to work together with them uh, into this uh, ai boost uh, developing if if we can do something for them but we have identified that they are the best offering this this kind of technology so after uh, we are providing AI tools into the performance area and also uh, in business, uh, whatever uh, we have identified that working with together with this platform Horizon uh, is uh, best we can offer uh, to the clubs. And the way I think uh, I think there are two ra two races uh, into the data uh, world in football. One is for collecting data. And the other one is for analyzing data. In both races, uh, artificial intelligence is uh, pushing very, very hard because they are uh, artificial intelligence is uh, key into the both uh, areas. And we are um, trying to work in, in, in both areas. In collecting, uh, we have been working not in football but in other sports as, as tennis with computer vision systems. And also in football by uh, not creating the data, but cleaning the data and getting the, the data ready to be analyzed. And in analysis, what we are uh, doing is uh, the thing uh, I have been talking before about analyzing the data into a prescriptive and predictive uh, way, because we think this is the, the future of, of, of clubs. So what I think is next time, the uh, next things we, are, uh, we will be able to analyze depends on this uh, collecting race and how the, the thing is going in this way. Uh, for example, if um, clubs or leagues start collecting data about the heart rate of the players uh, with computer vision technology or also with uh, stickers, uh, sensors or whatever, uh, with this data, of course, we will be able to analyze and give different solutions about uh, uh, risk of 
of uh, heart problems and, and whatever. So at some point we're working with the, the, the data we have, we are trying to get better data and we are, we are waiting uh, for others to collect different data in order to analyze this data in the, the best way with artificial intelligence. Great. Cristiano, when, when we talk about innovation, people also think about things like augmented reality or virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember already two years ago when, uh, when I visited the Benfica Stadium, already implementing it in the tour and everything like that. Um, are these things, are we going to see more of these things in the future? Are they here to stay? Because I haven't quite seen that boom yet. Do you think because of the COVID consequences uh, or because of the, of the technology, it will have a more, more um, a, let's say, presence in the, in the, in the fan experience of, the, of the football? Yeah, I think this is uh, something to stay. We have already uh, some innovation projects in our stadium tour in the stadium with augmented reality. And as Pedro said before, this is um, a thing that um, this is a must thing to have. And I'm sure these uh, more and more clubs will, will follow uh, that innovation uh, projects. And um, it's really nice to have here Andre with us because uh, I think we have a lot of a lot to learn with esports. Esports uh, are doing a really great work um, in terms of digital. Uh, in many events, they are doing really good events with the augmented reality. Uh, streamings and everything. So I think football right now have a lot to learn uh, with esports because uh, they are used to work in that way. And um, for me, I think uh, the world is increasingly connected. And nowadays, it's very easy to connect any part of the world in seconds. So I think uh, Benfica needs to develop uh, much more than we have in terms of uh, this digital strategy. And uh, much more clubs will follow us. And some on other clubs, because I think the virtual reality and augmented reality are things that are here to stay. Having the visitors in the stadium, and you can stay in USA or you can stay in Brazil, and you have opportunity in seconds to connect and see each space in Benfica Stadium, each space of our campus. So I think this is something that will change um, the way that we look at the, the business and trying to connect with the fans all around the world, having visits, uh, virtual visits, tours in the stadium uh, from people that can't have the chance to come to Portugal and make a tour in our stadium. And every experience from our stadium filled, filled um, our values, filled the atmosphere that we have in the stadium on the game day. So I think this is a sector that have a lot um, um, to increase, and I'm sure this is something to stay. And uh, most, I think, in a couple of years or in a couple of months, most part of the clubs will have a strategy based on that uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, where everyone can feel more the club and uh, uh, can feel some aspects that before they they, they don't have the chance to um, to explore. So I think this is something to to stay, and we will see this in much more clubs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pedro, another shift uh, that has been happening over the past few years already, um, again, like in, in the commercial space, is this dynamic between you know, let's say, clubs or rights holders, 
brands and athletes, right? Um, mm -hmm. The shift that's been taking place is, you know, brands going more towards the players because they have more social media followers, right? Um, and th therefore they have sometimes also more leverage, right? In, in negotiating some of these, those deals. Do you think that uh, there's a certain friction between clubs and athletes or do you think there's plenty to go around for everyone? No, that's a very good question. I think, and considering now we've seen the you know, recently hot topic, you know, on the on less dance, you know, everybody's watching, talking about in sports, you know, and one of the main hot topics was about organization or team. You know? This kind of uh, was read back in the nineties. This this not problem, but this situation. You know? Today with the digital, well, the situation is more data oriented. I would say, and as you said. We have uh, athletes, and I think uh, we are working with athletes that the valuation of the athlete on a digital ecosystem is bigger than many properties we are working with as football clubs. No? Well, as you said, I don't see as a friction. I see the opportunity for both sides to capitalize this and literally monetize it. No? It's true that, uh, and I probably I can go back, shift this back to Esteban no? on this side, the performance of the player plus the valuation as an asset. This combination, looking in the future, no? And probably say, as one Andre will say, you know, about the uh, the e-players, I would say, uh, that's the thing that football can use this situation as well, no? to capitalize this, no? In the, in, the, in the essence, you have this player with millions of followers, you have a property that is, well, is still smaller than the player, but the way you combine this association can bring uh, benefits for both of this, no? So, uh, that's what we think it's happening now, of course, uh, not as a friction, but as a, as opportunity for both sides in the way it's happening. Some case we see some friction. It's true. Uh, but the way you are evolving, you always have this, uh, you know, some rocks on, on the way. Definitely. Yep. Andy, if, if you were to join the management of a football club this summer, knowing what you know, all your, all your experience, uh, both in esports and in, and in uh, traditional sports, if you want to call it. What would be the first two things you try to convince your CEO of doing and how would you do it? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I'd be, I mean, I'd be delighted to be working in football because for all the things we kind of talked about, football is still an incredible product and it has the ability to create emotions and generate passion and, and, and move people commercially. Um, above you know any other sporting product that we have available so football is still wonderful and, and to be to be, have access to that content is an incredible thing um i think that uh if you're talking to a ceo in that environment i would say what is your commercial team doing to capture the fans of the future i mean esteban talked about the future and he talked about data and pedro's talked about how we monetize those data insights and, and how we pull that together um your personnel that you have in your commercial team may very well be people who have coasted on um, the windfall amounts of money that have come from broadcast revenues and people throwing themselves um, in the way of, of, of football. But sponsors are being a lot more savvy and they're going to be a lot more even savvier post-COVID when they're looking at whether or not that spend has actually returned. You know, the day, days in which you could say, well, look, uh, I'm just going to put you in front of this wonderful football product and by having your uh, brand on associated with something like the Champions League, then automatically that will increase your van, brand value and therefore monetize. Those days are, are over. So uh, 
to what extent does your commercial team really understand that world? So me and the CEO, um, we're going to be looking at that question first of all. So how does the commercial team respond to this? And how do they tell you how to convert that social engagement into uh, monetization? So tell me how we're going to gather those funds of the future and how we're going to adhere them to the brand and then how we're going to monetize them. Um, and and uh, that's going to involve, I would suggest um, in the future, a lot more community activation. So to what extent are those people talking with your community and activating it and generating those conversations around your brand? So that's the second one. I'm going to have a wander down the corridor in uh, HQ and I'm going to speak to the legal team. And the reason I want to speak to the legal team is because I understand how they perceive their role in relation to the brand and the and the assets that are associated with your football brand. So for example, one of the things that we see in digital activation is that the fans like to take sponsor branding and they do things with it, right? So they will, for example, create digital content around uh, one of our sponsors, OnePlus, which is a mobile brand. Um, they create content using the OnePlus logo, they attach it to players and they put it uh, on the internet, right? So they put it on, on Insta and Twitter particularly. Um, how you deal with that as a brand and how grown up you are in terms of allowing people to do that kind of thing with your brand when you, all the previous advice has been control it, right? You cannot allow people to use your brand without your approval. That is directly detrimental to your revenue streams. Um, you, you, in a digital world, you can't take that, that, that controlling approach. You can't be constantly shutting down. And I can remember being at an event in um, Spain earlier on this year with a representative from a very substantial Premier League club, and they and 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 her piece there was basically talking about how they shut, how they control, right? How they shut down counterfeiting, how they shut down digital activations uh, from people writing blogs that are associated with their club that they don't support, and so on. You, it's time to spin that thinking around, and and that's because ultimately people will write about your brand in a positive way if you give them a framework within which to do it, and that framework is not a controlling framework; it's a facilitative framework in order to make these these pieces happen to allow people to to grow this in an organic community driven positive way some of those controls that you might have applied in the past are probably going to have to change so number one how's your commercial team looking at this from a digital standpoint do they speak the language of digital do they come from that environment do they understand it and if they're not again are they humble enough to be able to you know say okay maybe there's some things that i don't know maybe some things that i should learn how I'm going to get those learnings in and so on. Second one, again, that legal team, is it all about the control? How flexible are we going to be with the brand? What are we going to give away? Uh, uh, and how is that going to allow us also to activate those player assets? Because again, what we haven't seen yet is a breakout player from COVID um, streaming online. And I've, that's one thing that I've been very surprised by. And I think in, in part, that's probably because clubs are used to controlling player assets very tightly, right? So how you interact with the media is a broadcast piece with a stand-up board behind you, um, or it's a press release which is very he heavily controlled. Again, that verb control there is going to be a problem because your fans are starting to engage with other entertainment celebrities in a completely different way to how they engage with your brand talent. And again, either you can worry about that and go, oh, what if a player says something on a stream we don't like, or he's put in a scenario um, where someone asks him a question where there's not a media officer there sitting next to him to say, I'm sorry, he's not going to answer that the trends are moving away from that level of control. They're moving to a much more authentic, um, engaging space. So for player assets in particular, they can be wonderful ambassadors for your brand and it's scalable, right? So it's not just limited to the, to the licensee ecosystem, 
that uh, you have within broadcast now where for example you know that person is speaking to the rights holder of that event and only people who uh, are able to pay their hundred dollars a month whatever it is to access that content are able to, to to see that content that's very limiting for your brand and that, that's great whilst the broadcasters are still paying a lot of money to you or assuming that they are doing that but if they're not doing that then what they're actually doing is really hindering your ability to scale your brand because your future consumers may not be in your home country the only way to engage with them at scale and particularly as we see more and more mobile engagement in sports right so people consuming content either by second screening or just by simply engaging with uh, your content solely through mobile, which is the great democratizer of this kind of content. You know, you don't have to have a TV or a, even a laptop anymore. Everything comes through your phone. Those kind of scalable products are only really available to you if you're prepared to use those player assets in a way that facilitates scale. And that is going to include less control. So again, that's where your legal team now with their new, let's not control, let's scale mindset and your commercial team with their new, okay, actually, digital first always, uh, data-driven activations always are going to come together and allow you to scale your brand more effectively. So hopefully that'll be my day done and I'll be able to uh, have a lovely uh, dinner with the CEO and crack on. Great. Yeah, lots of food for thought there. And I think definitely a, a great opportunity um, for, for some of those club CEOs to, to yeah, do a bit of in, interest, introspection, right? So yeah. Um, um, great, thanks so far. Um, at this point, I did want to uh, ask you guys a few questions from the audience because it is our last episode and I definitely wanted to give them the opportunity to pick your brains as well a little bit. Um, Esteban, we have Ayush from India asking, how artificial intelligence and predictive modeling are impacting the betting market? Do you have any perspectives on that? Um... Yeah, this is the, the 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 first question we always we always get uh, from the audience on every meeting. Uh, of course, you can be a betting companies surrounding uh, sports, uh, mainly football. Is uh, I think uh, betting uh, companies are first or two se second uh, first or, or second uh, sponsorship of every club in, in Spain in first division. Except in uh, Real Sociedad, my former club, that, uh, that hasn't any uh, betting uh, company as a sponsorship. But they are moving lots of money and, of course, uh, predictive um, information about uh, performance and also about what's happening during the game. That is something we can provide to clubs. It uh, must be interesting, interesting for them in order to not only uh, establish their prices uh, in order of... Um, uh, uh, with the with the betting of, of of people in their platform, but but also with what's happening on the on the pitch, uh, collected by uh, professionals in data and analyzed by artificial intelligence. Of course, this can be interesting. We haven't uh, go this way uh, yet uh, because I'm a professional football player, and you know we have received some calls in this direction. But uh, I'm still a professional football player and trying to focus on my my career and giving uh, this kind of services to the clubs. That is why I started this this company. We don't know what, what will happen in the future, but at, at the point, of course, we have received uh, lots of interest in this direction, but we haven't made any step in this direction yet. Great. 
And then Cristiano, we have a question for uh, for you from Sofia Rango. Um, when the matches return, there won't be the same opportunity to get the same revenues from hospitality, time events, etc. What can football clubs do to make up for those incomes? So I can repeat. Yeah, so she's saying that when, when the, the football games uh, return, there are certain revenue streams that you won't be able to, to tap into, right? Yes. So I'm asking, what can you do to make up for those uh, lost revenues? Yeah, I think uh, um, some revenues will, will not come again in the next couple months. I think uh, for, for the next month, for, for the end of this season and the beginning of the next season, we will not have the games with the fans. So I'm sure we will lose a lot of money in terms of ticketing, uh, hospitality, and that kind of things. Uh, and this is the opportunity for us to find the new ways to generate money in terms of uh, digital. So I think uh, we, we will take a lot of time uh, to, to everything returns to normality. I think it's, everything will come to normality when we don't have this virus anymore and we, we can start working again as before. Um, so right now we, we need to wait, but um, this is uh, like a pyramid where uh, here we have the people that know Benfica and the clubs. Here you have the, the people that follow more closely the club. We have the members and we have the big fans that are members. And we need to try to push as much as we can the people that are down here and to the top. And if we push them, I'm sure we, we generate much more money in terms of uh, uh, digital with, um, with, um, with exclusive content, with uh, merchandising, uh, with the new ways to, to interact with our, with our sponsors and partnerships. And even the, as we, we talked before, the virtual reality can, can uh, uh, give us uh, good income in the future, we never know, because right now we need to reinvent all the process and all people will, will see the, the games, because right now we don't have people in the, the stadium, but we, we will have more people seeing the games everywhere. So Bundesliga, it's, uh, it's, um, they are playing already, but you don't have much more leagues that are playing now. Uh, La Liga will start, I think, in the 8th of June. Uh, we will start uh, a little earlier, uh, 5th of June. So we have a good opportunity to enter in new markets that we, we are not um, there now because they, they, as we know, English Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga are really relevant. And I think we need to take this opportunity as uh, only Bundesliga is going on. Um, as soon as we start playing again, we need to focus how we will connect uh, with many people that know Benfica and want to see soccer again, want to see what's going on. So we need to think not only in Portugal, but globally, uh, how to connect millions and millions of people and millions of fans that are following us uh, in our power countries, uh, Brazil, also France, Luxembourg, United States, uh, Canada, uh, that are important markets for us. So right now it's, uh, it's what I can say to her, it's uh, we need to think globally and um, find new ways to, to generate money. Thank you, Cristiano. Um, Andy, I also have a question for you from uh, Kartik Shetty. Um, he's asking, do you think the non-so-traditional 
the not so traditional non-esports brands are seeing more value in supporting esports tournaments. Um, and actually asking also like whether you think that um, this is pushing traditional football clubs to associate themselves with esports team in the near future, I guess, in order to get back to um, having those associations with those brands? Yeah, um, great question. Um, two parts to it. So, you know, the, the, our ability to put a brand in front of consumers that are very interesting to that brand is, is probably unparalleled with the level of investment that's going into esports teams from those brands. So, um, you know, the, the price to even get some sort of basic match day hospitality at a major sporting event in, in the UK. And I, and I understand that the UK is different to other markets. It's the, it's the one in which I have the most experience. So um, um, please forgive me if, if it's different in other places, but fundamentally the buy-in price for access to your brand to a Premier League product particularly, this is not true of the championship or lower leagues, is pretty high. Um, the conversion rate, the ability for us to offer um, serve up number one that um, very interesting consumer for brands and so on and also track the impact of the of the um, relationship is is high and so non-endemic brands as we would so we, endemic brand would be a tech brand for example and non-endemic would be a brand like bmw that doesn't have any native association with esports um, they're starting to wake up to that and i think it's about transitioning some of those brands which look at these things inherently conservatively they have the same concerns about control of their ip um, the risk associated with it so social media is a very risky place place for a lot of brands and you see that in terms of their social media presence so very often it's a very heavily curated form of their brand so they'll there'll be product launches it'll be positive reviews and those kind of things it's much less anarchic and kind of creative than than the brands that really get social media we're stepping them into that space very gradually so I would say those non-endemic brands are going to be increasingly interested in esports, and the reason is because it's cheaper uh, in many instances than getting connected into traditional sports. Though obviously the ticket value is, is starting to go up as more brands get competing in this space and really start to understand the benefits that esports can offer. Can esports bring that piece back for traditional football? I would say I would. That assumes football clubs are getting into esports for that reason and i don't think that's the case i would say that in most instances they're doing it because they feel like they should do it and that it's something that they can turn on very quickly and cheaply and it sort of ticks that box okay what are we doing to you know activate the kids who might be interested in our thing oh well we have an esports team okay fantastic good answer uh, i'm not sure if that is a good answer if you're doing it for that reason that you're looking for a new platform in which to activate what is already probably an extremely strong brand. So we heard earlier on in relation to, uh, you know, many legacy European clubs, they have these wonderful community roots, and that's definitely true uh, all the way across Europe. They have these wonderful community roots. Sometimes those have not been well watered. Sometimes they've been very well watered, particularly in um, in, in in Spain. But fundamentally. Um, it's about bridging that gap. So I would say if you're in esports for the right reasons, it can be a wonderful way to activate those brands, give non-endemic brands an, an ability to activate and connect with your fans in a new way, et cetera, et cetera. But again, that assumes that that uh, maths has been, has been done, and I don't think that it is. Thanks, uh, Andy, for, for your answer. And uh, Pedro, final question for you from uh, Ricardo Teixeira, uh, who is asking, with um, this digitalization trend, 
how is the new reality pushing the offer segmentation and targeted activation? Well, uh, that's a good question. Thank you for that. Um, when you, uh, when we we're explaining before, no, the branded content packs, basically, when you start to doing this, creating new packs of this, you're already creating a personalization of this, no, because then you can, today we have a standard packs. Now I, I was explaining example of, uh, I don't know, whenever you make a goal, you have a pack of this every time, whenever you create, uh, you have a final result of the match. These are traditional packs. What's happening now in some properties that they are creating, they're being really creative following probably the esports, the way they're doing and creating extremely creative packs. So they're able to address different fans. And so much more personalize it. The second thing that is possible now with, uh, with the digital is you can go regional, which has already been done in the last years, basically on the sponsorship side. But now on the digital, you can target because you have multiple accounts on multiple uh, social media channels basically that you can address a Brazilian fan because of your account in Portuguese with a different content rather than uh, you know global traditional more institutional content or rather than you go a guy seeing in Spain you know? this is the way the target uh, personalization has been doing through the branded content you know and that's the way the brands are approaching it as Andrew said I agree with this in a very smart way for the for the brands and the esports rather than a traditional sport, they have to move into this direction no? to be able to personalize, uh, I would say, this, this, this content and this commercialization of this content. Thank you, Pedro. Thank you. Um, OK, then just maybe to wrap up uh, for all four of you, um, final thoughts on COVID-19 and innovation, um, 20, 30 seconds each, because uh, we, we have run quite over time. Esteban, final thoughts uh, from your side on uh, will COVID-19 boost innovation in football? Well, something will be, will affect, is affecting already and will affect in a deep way. Uh, we have to be very responsible with this, but uh, also a very good opportunity to understand new processes, to generate knowledge about uh, uh, information we can be collecting now and new scenario. And uh, from our point of view, use this artificial intelligence in order to generate this knowledge and understand uh, how the future will come and in next scenarios be more ready. Thank you. Cristiano, from your side? Yeah, I think um, this will boost the, the innovation in football. Football is a really big industry that moves billions and billions of euros all the, in the world. So I'm sure right now it's the time, the correct time to change some some habits and some uh, cultures in the in the football and the, in the sports, and I'm sure the innovation will will change many things in, in soccer and in all the sports. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. I would say don't don't. I mean, football is is amazing. I think uh, it, it's a it's a product that we all love. Um, I, I've had some of the best sporting experiences of my entire life have been served up by football. Uh, a one and only trophy of the last uh, 30 years as a Middlesbrough fan. Uh, <laughs> I was there. But um, I think this is a great opportunity to, uh, for football to take a look at itself, I think, and um, ask about what the future looks like and, um, and, and ask about where 
the fans fit into that, where the community activation piece fits into that, and look at how successful some of the community building things that have happened, that have had to happen during coronavirus to keep football in the public eye. Look at how successful they've been and what you can learn from that. And um, I think we all hope football uh, comes back better and stronger. But I think what we can all agree is that football may not be the same after it comes back. And trying to make football as it was pre-coronavirus is perhaps the wrong way to look at it. I think it's it's about learning the lessons of that of this period and seeing about how we can bring uh, the, you know a want, this wonderful game back perhaps to a um, more engaging and more engaged place um, through digital products. So I, I really hope that happens. I hope football takes that look at itself and 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 takes it as an opportunity to improve and learn. Great, thanks. And Pedro, from your side, any final thoughts on uh, on this last? Yeah. I think, uh, well, definitely the situation now was uh, is creating acceleration on all this transformation and constantly running. Uh, what is going to change definitely is the focus, you know, the focus on monetization, new revenue streams, and creating this, uh, uh, this as I said, this digital monetization on this side, you know, so created this, this link uh, to defend in a different way. You know? Definitely, this is a moment of this stoppage, you know, I would say. It's, it's creating this opportunity for all, for the football, not only for the football, but for the sport in general, but uh, in this case for football, to understand, to look ahead what they're doing on this side, what they're doing on, on other sports, how we can uh, get this knowledge together to football. And in our case, as we focus on, on business, of course, on how can I affect my PL directly with new revenue streams? And that's the opportunity bringing this, this situation. Great. And with that, um, gentlemen, it's time to wrap up. Thank you so much for, for your time and, and for sharing those uh, incredible insights with, with us and, and with our viewers. Uh, Esteban Granero from Olasip, thank you for, for everything and good luck also with the playoffs uh, coming up. Cristiano Vieira from uh, Benfica, good luck also with, uh, with the restart. Thank you. Next weekend. Uh, Andy, uh, all the best, obviously, in eSports. We hope you, you continue to, to boom and, uh, and, and, and develop. Uh, closely and uh, of course Pedro Mestriner from Horizon thank you again for uh, sharing some of those innovative uh, technologies with our audience today and uh, with that thank you to all of our viewers that have joined us over the past 10 weeks um, on this webinar series in which we've tried to give you a little bit of more knowledge and insight on how COVID-19 has been impacting the football industry do uh, please follow our social media channels to uh, stay updated with any future uh, developments on our sites because we might uh, get back into the space after a break. Uh, of course, we'll uh, definitely look forward to, to getting your, your feedback on all of that. In the meantime, wishing you all the best. Enjoy the football and uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And make sure to follow FBA on our social media channels to not miss out on the next episodes coming soon. See you next time.